0: Welcome to PrismaCast,
1: the podcast of Prisma, Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Rachel Dratch, Associate Director of Educational Innovation here at Prisma, and this podcast is part of an amazing series called Startup Day School, envisioned and produced by Mr. Josh Gold, who is not only the middle school principal at the Hafter School in Lawrence, New York, but is also pursuing a doctorate at Yeshiva University. Without further ado, here's Josh with Startup Day School.
0: Welcome back to the Startup Day School. My name is Joshua Gold. I feel very blessed to have this podcast and thank you for everyone uh, who has been listening to us. I am very privileged to be joined today uh, by Tikva Wiener, the head of school at the Idea School and Institute. Uh, We're going to be talking about a wide variety of topics. Uh, Tikva is, uh, her school is unique. And I say that oftentimes people say unique in the wrong way, being uh, one of a kind. People often say very unique. Uh, but that's not not possible Uh, but Tikva school really is unique in that it is one of a kind certainly in the local area here in the New York metropolitan area in that it is a project-based learning school uh, and also an institute that trains other schools uh, in this in this process so very interested to get into it Uh, Tikva thanks so much for being with us can you tell us a little bit about your school
1: sure well first of all Josh thanks for having me here today it's really nice to be here and our school is, uh, as you said, a project-based learning high school. It opened three years ago, so we currently have 53 students in who are freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. And our yes, our our school what that what a project-based learning high school means is that um, we not we underneath the, underneath like all the projects are is a basically a traditional curriculum in sense of um, ninth graders are learning ancient civ but the learning is centered around projects or problems that the students have to solve. And these projects are personally meaningful to the students and they also are relevant in the world. So what that means is, let's say, um, last year during the pandemic actually, um, the students, the 10th graders um, learned essays and learned the text of Migilat Root and illustrated their responses to it. So here's, you know, their Jewish, you know, their Jewish heritage, Jewish texts, and they're taking it and they're making it personally meaningful. Um, and sometimes we're asking them to solve problems in the real world. So, for example, in chemistry, where they're learning again the typical things you would learn in a chemistry class, um, they are asked. They're going out also and finding out what what chemical reactions cause toxic reactions in the environment and suggesting greener reactions. That would result, you know, from from greener processes. Um, so that's what it means to really center learning around projects and problems for students to solve.
0: Got it. Why uh, Why would any school not be doing all of this? I mean, it sounds great. Project based learning is such a such a great thing to be doing.
1: Well, you know, that's what I always say, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really understand because even like just the little I told you, there's really so much more involved. Yeah and there's so much really I, the reason that i got involved with it was really because i saw i went to schools in san diego um, the high-tech schools their k-12 mm-hmm. charter schools in the san diego unified school district and i saw these confident curious students yes and I Was like i want me some of that you know yes. and, and like i also saw that it was it was such important work that the students were doing
0: yeah it
1: was important to them and it was important in the world and I saw that as a really transformational educational model. Yes. And, I, and to me, the obvious question was, why wouldn't we want to do that in Jewish education, which is supposed to be so personally, um, personally meaningful and transformational.
0: Totally. You know, but, I, yeah. I was a, I was in the public school sector for ten years prior to moving to Jewish day schools, and I remember, especially as a teacher and especially as an administrator in the public schools. The big thrust was when I go into a classroom and I, you know, sidle up next to a student uh, to talk about, you know, what are you doing? What are you working on, right? The, what we always were trying to get the student to say was not just what they were doing, because often the response from the student is, I'm working on this worksheet, or we're working on reading this. I want to hear the student say, why? What, this is what I'm doing, or it's in service of this, or this is why I'm doing this, right? And this one day we had the opportunity to visit a CTE school, a career and technical education school. It's an amazing school. I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's in Queens. And it's one of the last schools like this. It's an automotive school. And it has, it's, a Regents, it's a Regents diploma school. The students, it's a high school. All the students take all the Regents bearing courses, but it's also an automotive school in that they also graduate high school as certified mechanics. There is a functional New York State certified garage on campus that, this, that the students work in and when we went to the garage and you would see the students uh, rotating the tires of the teacher's cars which by the way a great perk of if you're a teacher there um, you'd say to the student what are you doing and he would say or she would say i'm rotating these tires using this because we noticed when we did this one of the you know the front passenger side tire is out of alignment and i said oh my goodness this is the kind of real world application that we need to have in every classroom now it's not always realistic to have a garage in your school, right? But how do we take the essence of that and make that applicable? I don't care what your class is, how do we make it real for students? And I think that's what you're tapping into.
1: Yeah, you know, I love that example. Um, Yeah, and I totally agree. Because really, the the thing behind project or problem based learning, whatever you want to call it, is that it's really process based learning, Mm -hmm. right? You're focusing on a process. Now, I think for a lot of people, they might get confused and they say, oh, so that does, that means you're not teaching a lot of content. And I will admit that you do teach less content like this. I, I don't, I don't think, I think you have to say, I'm going to devote time to process learning and right. that does take time.
0: Like, but you know, but but I, yeah. would, I would push back on that because I would, I would say, and I don't have the scientific research to back this up, maybe you do. But I wonder how deeply internalized learning is when you learn it by way of being taught it versus discovery.
1: So that's an, inter- that's, I mean, that's a great point that you're saying, because I do think that there's a lot of confusion around that, because one of the, one of our, one of my mentors, who's Scott Swaley, and he's featured in this documentary about the high-tech schools, it's called Most Likely to Succeed, and I highly recommend it, mm-hmm. and he talks about that. He said, I would argue that if you are studying for a test, and six months later, you, you don't remember anything on that test, then what did you really learn? But if you're really involved in this process of learning, then you will retain the information in the same way that if the the student, you know, rotating the tires has really mastered how to rotate the tires. You know, I also heard Tony Wagner talk about this and said and say, you know, when you get your driver's license, you we know you can drive a car. Right. You have you have Yes, you have studied some material, you know the the road rules, but you have gotten behind a vehicle. You have driven the car. so And that's really what we're doing. We're saying we know that not only do you need to know, just because every educated person should know where Mesopotamia is or who Alexander the Great was or what chemical reactions happen, right? Um, but also that you can communicate well and that you can collaborate well and that you can manage your time well and regulate your emotions well. And you don't have to layer on social and emotional curricula onto project-based learning, right? Because all of that is happening. The the things you were describing is like I learned how to rotate the tires is basically I'm learning how to become a real human being in a project-based learning classroom at every moment. And you're right, to me, there's nothing more important than that. And I'm learning how to be, and especially in a Jewish school, I'm learning not, not just how to communicate well because maybe I need to do that in my workplace, but I'm learning how to communicate well and listen well because first of all, personally, and as a, as a human being, I'm going to need that in my work relationships and of course in my personal life. And also because um, treating other people with kindness is a deep value of our religion. So I'm not just learning the laws of Lashon Hara, right but I'm, I'm actually at every moment enacting those laws in the in the classroom because the classroom then becomes a microcosm of the real world as the student who's learning how to do uh how to fix a car is a microcosm of a certain kind of real world experience so i absolutely agree and i and and that's why i continue to say like this to me this is the most important work that we could be doing really
0: I love what you're saying, and I think there there are two tools. I'm pulling one of them up right now. There there are a couple of tools that I that I love working with teachers on, uh, or with, I should say. One of them is called the cognitive rigor matrix, which is um, uh, basically taking Bloom's taxonomy and like sort of putting it into a, a matrix of application. Mm-hmm. And the other is the depth of knowledge chart. I work with teachers a lot on this, and if folks have never seen it, it's really really great depth of knowledge chart is also driven by blooms, but it essentially takes any uh, uh, activity or question that you might be diving into with students and it shows you where it would fall on a a level of knowledge, right? So if you're asking students to like recite something, recall a fact, recognize something, uh, the DOK, the depth of knowledge would say that this is on a recall level, a level one of depth, right? It's important, as you said, it's important to know who Alexander the Great was. It's important to know who, you know, these types of things. Um, But this is level one recall, and for the and generally speaking, all these words that would prompt a question, uh, memorize, uh, name, these types of uh, prompts are going to be level one, right? And level two is when we start to get into and list all these ones: classifying things, making inferences, identifying patterns, organizing ideas. This is a cause and effect identification. This is now in a level two place, right? Level three is when we're starting to get into strategic thinking. Can I revise maybe an argument? Can I develop a different argument? Can I, um, can I uh, explain something in terms of like concepts to somebody to make differentiations? That's level three and that's strategic thinking. And then level four for extended thinking is now I'm coming up with new designs, making connections, synthesizing, and ultimately applying concepts, right? And so for me, when I'm going into a teacher's classroom or working with a teacher, we wanna look at like, you know, certainly what was your objective? What was your aim? Things like this, but also where does that objective fall on the DOK, right? It's great that you reached your goal. It's great that your students can identify the causes of whatever, right? Uh, or the effects of whatever. But if they're just simply regurgitating that, even though that's, that's important, we're not getting very deep in our learning. And I think what you're talking about, Tickfa, is that when you, um, when you are uh, putting students in a position to have these authentic opportunities, the depth of learning is as deep as it possibly could be. So if we know that these types of experiences are so authentic and so genuine and ultimately so meaningful, why is it so hard for us to implement these types of practices in, in, in our schools? Now, before I give you a chance to end, my experience has been, I think teachers find this, that it's almost an all or nothing thing, that I'm either gonna fully adopt a project-based learning curriculum or I'm gonna fully become a problem-based or project-based teacher or I'm not going to do it at all. It's not something that I can sort of like implement a little bit. Have you found that resistance and ultimately how have you been able to so successfully get buy-in from teachers?
1: Well, I think you've honed in on a very important reason, a big reason why uh, teachers are afraid to get started with this kind of learning. It does take a lot of learning. I I started life as a traditional teacher and I had to really first untrain myself and then retrain. And that's not easy. And that can feel very scary to a lot of people. So two things I would say. One is, I don't think you have to adopt an all or nothing, a very binary approach to this. In the training that we've done, we show people the design elements of project-based learning, the, the, the elements that go into any project. And we encourage teachers to start with the elements that really speak to them. Just as we're asking students in project-based learning to make learning meaningful to them, we ask the same thing of our teachers. The teacher training actually mimics very much what we're asking students to do, and I think that that's appropriate and ma- and actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it more deeply, mm-hmm. right? So we're asked. So we we start there. One of the elements of of. A, project-based learning that I think does appeal to teachers a lot is student voice and choice. And that's really the, the same thing that we're saying to teachers is teacher voice and choice. Choose what you want. Choose what makes sense to you. If one of your goals, and this is a common core goal, you know, it's a state, it's a standard, a state standard in, in many, uh, let's say certainly humanities type classrooms is, is oral communication. So have your students present something. Make the learning more real by having a student not only write a paper, but then get up and present it in some way. Right? So it so find the find the pathways into this that make a lot of sense for you. The other thing that I think is important in terms of what you're saying and what you're kind of tapping into um, in the depth of knowledge chart is the fact is, is something that we think of we think a lot about at the idea school and something that as i got into this more and more was something that i started thinking a lot about which is what does it mean to really learn something Mm -hmm. so we have a certain conception of what learning looks like and i think this is goes taps into where the fear is about changing learning is like we grew up learning a certain way we memorized uh, certain formulas, we memorize certain facts. I mean, I was given a, just a ton of stuff to memorize, right? And the truth is, is that I enjoyed a lot of it. I had mm-hmm. to memorize to experience speeches, and I had to memorize tons and tons of authors and their dates and art history and so forth. And I do love that I have that knowledge, but I also think about a lot of the things that I didn't know how to do, and how I wasn't taught to learn how to learn. And that's what I think we're doing. And I think, first of all, in the world that we are living today, this is very important because you're not going to ch- stay, your career is not going to follow, you know, the same path, the path that you think it's going to follow. So learning new skills is good, is just going to be very important. But just on the human level of like, what is, what is the love of knowledge that we have in that liberal arts education? Like, what does it really mean to know something and to have a person want to know something because they want to know it. So I will give you an example because as you were talking, it was making me think about The, the, you know, the class I had today I teach ninth grade humanities and we're, we're learning ancient civilizations and the students now have to create a board where they're programming servo motors these motors that turn to show different aspects of civilization and to show what's one story and what's the other story so it might be like show you know show the pharaoh or show a ruler king being very powerful and then underneath show show underneath and have the servo motor turn and show a slave story and one one young woman she said to me what do i do i asked them to prototype one part of the board and she's like what should i do i'm i'm studying religion and she started off by comparing you know two two underworld you know two gods of the underworld in the ancient world and she's like tell me what i should do tell me what i should do make the decision for me and i said no i'm not going to make the decision for you that's that's really what i want you to do is learn how to make that decision and and i think a lot of times also the students are afraid of being wrong So will you tell me you're grading it? And I said, no, there's no wrong answer here. You just have to tell me why you're doing that, why you're doing it the way you're doing it. There's no wrong. I don't know, there's millions of what's one story and what's the other story. And eventually she settled on the bad boy appeal because she did more research into the God she was studying and realized that he's like all bad boys and that there's something appealing about the bad boy. It's like a stock character and we had talked about stock characters and tropes and so forth. And the look on her face and the feeling she had, right? She had gone deeper into the research. She had come up with the idea. She had made the connection between history and today. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Like for me, that was such a powerful moment. I even just like thinking about it It makes me so happy because the learning, she owned that learning. She'll never forget that God's name now.
0: Right, and she'll never forget the importance of bad boys. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And it was just I mean, that's exactly what you're describing. Like I could give her a list of gods and I could tell her to memorize those gods and right. you know, and and she'd be like, What on earth am I doing here? This
0: and, is what this, you know, this is this is uh, what the Chip and Dan Heath in uh made to stick and, and also power of moments, if those both those books I, I love. Uh they talk about how if I just told you something. It, it, you might learn it for a little while but you'd forget it very quickly but if i asked you a question that positions you to be interested in figuring out the answer then when you get the same information it's processed in a much much more d- deep way um and that's an incredible and honestly like that moment that you're talking about right now is why anybody gets into teaching right, right? and there's the there's a you know and it's so hard now also but they talk about, um, I can't remember where I read this, but when I was early in my career as a teacher mentor, we there was a document that I once read, I can't remember it, but the thrust was that that moment that you're talking about when a student discovers something, that aha moment is so inspirational. It is why you get into teaching. And when you have a moment like that, it'll carry you through some difficult times that are, that are, that are maybe exhausting while you're teaching, and if you go too long as a teacher without having those moments, that's what leads often to teacher burnout. If you feel like you're just kind of given over the lesson, and this, you know, this is what can lead to because because that's not what this 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 profession is supposed to be about. That when you position a student to have such an incredible moment, you have uh, you have really done something special in that respect. And and to your point you know you're also not just teaching them about it's not just the project the project is a is a vehicle in which students learn not only these skills that you're talking about but also all these other soft skills collaboration communication and you know i never want to you know boil it down to like these are utilities that assets that you need when you get older to be able to be a, a, a productive citizen obviously that's part of it but it's it's more about self-actualization and positioning students to be the best version of themselves, and you know one of my pet peeves in school. In addition to you said something earlier of like uh, when we when we teach something in a way that doesn't model what it's about. Like one of my pet peeves is when is when people uh, you know lecture about uh, you know discussion-based learning or something like that. And there's the irony of it, right? Right. But. But I, another pet peeve is when we have our soft skill learning be siloed into its own time, like put your books away, it's time to learn about emotional intelligence, guys. Put your books away, we're going to learn about, uh, you know, communication skills. When these things are, are in that way, I think students see them that way, that they're not like organically woven in uh, skills, but they are these things we practice on the side. No, these have to be, um, you know, things that we all, and not just students, but, but, uh, professionals in the school to see us as, you know, part of the gestalt, if you will.
1: Well, I was really encouraged a few years ago when people started to talk about emotional intelligence and these soft skills, and and I, I don't think they're soft skills, I think they're life skills or whatever, you know, like, I agree with you 100%, they're essential to what it means to be a human being on this planet. But then of course, you know what happened two minutes later is I'm reading now a, a report, an article about how there's now an, a, an emotional quotient. Uh, multiple choice exam. It's like where's the brick wall I need to knock my head o- against yeah. it. And you know, project based learning has been around for over a hundred years since John Dewey. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's kind of frustrating because it's like kind of how you, we started the conversation by saying why aren't more schools doing this? And I and I don't really know. I think it is hard to change.
0: Well, you know, for the, for the past century and a half, education has been a, an arm wrestling match between Dewey and Hirsch. Right. Uh, you know, getting a little bit nerd here and, you know, uh, stick with me if you're if you're listening and this is boring for you. But John Dewey very much uh, was the ex- exploration discovery, uh, you know, um, grandfather of education. And it very much was his brainchild of we want to leverage innate knowledge and, and experiences that students have in their life uh, to, for learning. And, and Hirsch came along a, a number of years later and pushed back on that. And, and sort of the industrial model of education is very much based on the work of Hirsch, that if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. And the, only, and the best way to measure it is, the, is in the industrial model. And over time, there's been ba- you know, back and forth, back and forth, and there have been schools that have been you know, very much in the Dewey camp and schools that have been very much in the Hirsch camp. Um, but I think that there's a place in the middle that is the ideal, that we certainly have metrics and observable uh data to to demonstrate our learning but we cannot discount the importance of self-discovery and project-based learning in in the classroom now just we only have a second a couple of minutes left here um but if i'm a teacher or if i'm a school leader and i want to start to maybe dip a toe into the pool of pbl um, what's a good or safe way for me to do that to see if there's ways that i can start to implement this kind of practice into my own discipline
1: Yeah, sure. So, we have a lot of actually sources on our website, Ideaschool.org. We've started to put up some of our projects and even just resources about how to start with project-based learning. I also recommend PBL Works. They have like like that basic, those basic design elements, and we took them and we kind of linked them to other resources you could find. Um, So, that's, those are good places to start. I also always recommend Ron Berger's "An Ethic of Excellence" as a first book to read about the why of PBL, and then he has another book, "Learning That Lasts," which is more of the how. Um, also, setting the standard for project-based learning is more of the how. So, so, um, so those are good places to start. I think. I think the mindset. I think also you have to have a growth mindset. You have to have the mindset of I am not not going to do it all well, all at once. And I think that that's very, very important. That it's going to be messy and that's okay. And I think that's the fear is if I, if I loosen the students out of their rows, right? If I let them slip out of their rows, it's going to be chaos. It's not going to be chaos. You'll get them back. There are other norms and structures you can use. And you, and you need to be kind to yourself as you go along this process and say, I'm going to I'm going to iterate gonna I'm gonna prototype PBL the way I'm asking my students to prototype certain things and I think that that's a, you know just be kind to yourself and, and do it slowly. Do things that feel easy and right at first I would say.
0: I love it yeah I, and I say to t- I say to students all the time too if their work is messy I say have you ever been to a construction site I say mm-hmm. sure you ever see a building being built sure Is it clean and, and organized and everything is, is is neat and tidy? No well, why not? Well, because there's work being done, it's not supposed to be, right? Does not mean that it that it that it, that it's uh, that it's wrong, right? It's suppo- the the process is supposed to be that way, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to get to a, a beautiful place at the end with a beautiful project. So, uh, I, I really can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, it's a really, really great work you're doing over there at the Idea School, and uh, come join us again soon in the future. We'd love to have you again.
1: Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the day.
1: That was an amazing podcast. Thank you, Josh. For contact info and links from today's episode, check us out at prisma.org. Follow us on social media at prismacjds. Subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. And check out the Prisma Knowledge Center, our online place to find resources, templates, articles, reports, and research on all things day school for day school leaders.